Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, June 28th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. As smoky air, condi- uh, smoky air from the Canadian wildfires drifts over New York, state environmental and health officials recommend wearing an N95 mask when exercising or doing work outdoors. If you want to know the effects of climate change, you're going to feel it tomorrow. More from Karen DeWitt coming up. Also, changes to eligibility limits have made hundreds of thousands of new families eligible for childcare assistance. That's money to help pay for daycare, but many don't realize they can apply. And that includes a lot more of what we think of as middle income families that are, you know, struggling to pay for childcare, but they're making decent income. And we'll hear the genre-blending music of Ottawa-based musician Angelique Francis. She's performing this evening at the City's Jazz Festival. I love that I have the ability to showcase to people that the blues is everywhere. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Mountain Orthotic and Prosthetic Services, a full-service practice committed to providing care for patients of all ages with offices in Lake Placid, Plattsburgh, and Malone. Details and referrals at mountainonp.com. And Blue Seed Studios, a multidisciplinary art center featuring classes for adults and youth, concerts, art exhibits, and more, blucstudios.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. State officials are again warning of unhealthy, smoky air from multiple wildfires burning in Canada, drifting over New York. Governor Kathy Hochul says weather patterns have spread the smoke over central and western New York today, drifting into eastern New York by tomorrow. Hochul says uh, that air quality conditions across the state will be in the unhealthy range on Thursday and hazardous levels for most of the state. Karen DeWitt has more from Albany. State environmental and health officials recommend wearing an N95 or KN95 mask when exercising or doing work outdoors. They also say people with lung or heart-related issues like asthma and congestive heart failure should take special precautions when the air quality index is 100 or higher. When the number is above 150, everyone should avoid strenuous outdoor activities. Hochul also advises downloading the airnow.gov app or visiting its website and signing up for email or text alerts. The state's Department of Environmental Conservation website is also monitoring air quality levels. If you want to know the effects of climate change, you're going to feel it tomorrow in real time. This is not something that we're talking about future generations dealing with it. We are truly the first generation to feel the real effects of climate change 
and we're also the last generation to do anything meaningful about it. Hochul updated New Yorkers on the air quality while in Manhattan, where she announced the start of the first in the nation congestion pricing for Midtown. The controversial measure is aimed at reducing vehicle exhaust that leads to global warming. We're prescribing a decongestant. Other cities, including London and Stockholm, have already implemented congestion pricing policies. Hochul says exhaust fumes in those cities have been reduced by as much as 20 percent. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The EPA is reporting unhealthy air quality conditions today along the eastern Lake Ontario region, including the Thousand Islands, Tug Hill and Watertown areas. Syracuse, Rochester and Buffalo are also included in the unhealthy air quality zone. The rest of the region is reportedly is reported to be in moderate to good air quality conditions today. You can find the latest air quality information for your community on the website airnow.gov. North Country voters cast ballots in primary elections across the region yesterday. Detective Rick Engel defeated Undersheriff Sean O'Brien with 65% of the vote in the Republican primary for the St. Lawrence County Sheriff. They'll face off again in November. O'Brien is on the conservative party line. Lewis County Sheriff Mark Capanelli cruised to an easy 70 to 30 percent win over Nicole Turk in the Republican primary. They'll also have a rematch in November because Turk is on the conservative and independent party lines. In Watertown, voters chose four candidates in a field of 10 for city council. Robert Kimball, Benjamin Schoen, Leonard Spaziani, and Timothy Babcock will face off for two city council seats in November. Incumbent Councilman Patrick Hickey lost his seat. And in Plattsburgh, Jacob Avery appears to have beaten Damian Gilbert in the Democratic primary for a seat on the city council. Avery won by just 22 votes in unofficial Ward 2 results. The Adirondack Council has a new executive director, its first leader who is a person of color. That's according to the Adirondack Explorer magazine. Raul Aguirre has been the organization's interim director since Willie Janeway announced he would step down earlier this year. Aguirre is 51 years old and lives in Keene. His father is Mexican. His mother is Jewish from the Bronx. He worked as a ranger with the National Park Service and a firefighter with the U.S. Forest Service before working for several conservation groups for almost 30 years. He's worked for the Adirondack Council for, for, the last, for most of the last decade. Aguirre will lead the Adirondack Park's largest green group. He told the Explorer there is a leadership paradigm shift going on in the Adirondacks that can better connect wilderness protection with healthy communities inside the Blue Line. A fire in an apartment building early Monday morning in Messina killed three people and displaced as many as 14 others. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the fire on South Main Street was reported shortly before 6 a.m. The Messina Fire Department found flames and heavy smoke on the second floor of the building when they arrived on the scene. They rescued five people from the first floor. Volunteers from the central and northern New York chapters of the Red Cross provided emergency aid to five of the victims and planned to help more. The, the, excuse me, the Messina Police Department is heading up the investigation.
The coronavirus pandemic put a big spotlight on child care, and it's led to some real shifts in public policy over the past few over the past few years. In New York, the state is investing seven billion dollars over four years to improve child care, including making many more families eligible for child care assistance. That's money to pay for your child's daycare. But a lot of people don't know that getting people signed up and enrolled and finding care at all is a whole other can of worms. Amy Fireisel reports. If you're a family of four with two kids and you make less than $90,000 a year, you're eligible for child care assistance. In October, you'll be eligible if you make less than $99,000. That's a huge change from how things were just a few years ago. In 2021, the limit was $55,000 for a family of four. It's a huge expansion. It is a, like, amazing commitment by the state. That's Kathy Broder, director of the Jefferson Lewis Child Care Project. She says many families don't realize the state will pay thousands of dollars for their child care. There are a lot of people right now that have their kids enrolled in care, that have had their kids enrolled in care for a couple of years, that don't realize they could be getting help with paying for child care. The state has made this investment, but it won't go anywhere if people don't sign up for it. The increased limit, nearly double in just a few years, makes hundreds of thousands of new families eligible. And that includes a lot more of what we think of as middle-income people, families that are, you know, struggling to pay for child care, but they're making decent income. Karen Calden manages the Child Care Assistance Program at St. Lawrence County Social Services. Since August of 2022, when eligibility expanded, Calden says they've seen lots of new applications. Since then, there has been a huge increase of uh, families that are eligible for the program and for that assistance, which is really a, a great plus for our area. They've enrolled 50 new families into their program, from 80 to 130, and many more than that are eligible. Calden says using child care assistance helps both families and providers. For families, it's a lot of money saved. It can add up to around ten dollars to $12,000 a year per child. It can allow families to go from part to full-time care and parents to go from part to full-time work. You know, young, young families are able to stabilize their, their child care to know that they can continue working um, and that young families can further stabilize and put more money towards, you know, paying off student loans or buying a house. For providers, it's a steady paycheck, and the program even pays providers for days when a child is absent. It's 24 absentee days right now, but it'll increase to 80 days in October. So that stabilizes for the provider that they know if they have a child that's on the uh, child care assistance program, that even if this child maybe is sickly and, you know, it doesn't go to daycare and ends up with more absences, that they're still going to get paid. But here's the big wrench in the system. The North Country is still a child care desert. Getting assistance doesn't mean you'll be able to find a spot in a daycare or with a home provider. Because there's such a scarcity of care, Karen Calden in St. Lawrence County and Kathy Broder in Jefferson and Lewis say they've been seeing more families going another, less known route, using something called the legally exempt child care process. Broder says this is more commonly referred to as friend, family, and neighbor care. 
which is you can have somebody that's a family member or or your neighbor or somebody that you know and trust approved to receive childcare assistance. Individuals have to go through a background check, but then families can use state money to pay, say, grandma or a retired neighbor to watch their children. Broder says it's a great option for families waiting for a childcare spot to open up. It's also an alternative for parents that work shifts and nights when there are very few licensed providers available. Those are hard, hard things to fill. If you work in the evening, you get out of work at nine o'clock and you can find someone that can care for your child from five o'clock till nine o'clock. It may not be a temporary situation at all. It could be a permanent situation that works out really well. Reimbursement rates for child care have also increased, which makes the money more substantial to around $700 a month per child. It, it can be something that mom could actually appreciate this income. It's not, it's not token income. You can apply for child care assistance through your county's social services department. Applications can be found on county websites. Broder and Calden say it's worth applying for. It could save many families tens of thousands of dollars a year. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. In our online story at ncpr.org, you can find a table of income requirements for child care assistance and a link to a state quiz that will tell you if you're eligible. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 13 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll hear the genre-blending music of Angelique Francis. She's an Ottawa-based musician, and she's performing this evening at the City's Jazz Festival. She's even playing alongside Buddy Guy for a song. You can hear more from her coming up in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light. Peggy Lynn and Dan Duggan. You can hear more of their music on our website, part of our underscore project at ncpr.org slash underscore. And they're also part of Jam Crackers. And coming up on uh, Saturday, July 1st, 1 to 4 p.m., they'll be at the the ADK Experience in Blue Mountain Lake. And then Sunday evening, 6 o'clock, a community dance with Dan Duggan and High on the Hog on the Norwood Village Green. Great music featuring Dan Duggan, Peggy Lynn, Dan Berggren, Jam Crackers, the hot group High on the Hog. Saturday, ADK Experience in Blue Mountain Lake, the Jam Crackers. Sunday, High on the Hog and Dan Duggan at the Norwood Village Green at 6 p.m. Northern Light, supported by Fort De La Presentation in Ogdensburg, inviting the public to a French and Indian War reenactment in camp July 15th and 16th. Details at fort1749.org and by St. Lawrence Nurseries in Potsdam, providing the North Country with cold, hardy fruit and nut trees for nearly 100 years, slngrow.com. 
The Haudenosaunee Nationals defeated Hong Kong last night in the World Lacrosse Championships in San Diego. The Nationals went by the Iroquois Nationals for generations. Current team members say the word Iroquois is derogatory, and they're reclaiming their indigenous identity with the name change. WXXI's Noelle Evans caught up with the team just before the tournament and put together this profile for NPR's All Things Considered. We're in the parking lot of a hotel near the Buffalo International Airport. Lacrosse player Dehoga Nandikog stands by a pickup truck where there's a handful of equipment duffel bags. So that's a helmet. That's pretty. He holds up a helmet with a pattern of repeating squares and a leaf, a symbol of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy wampum. Nandikog played with this team when they were known as the Iroquois Nationals. The origin of the word Iroquois is the subject of debate. But present-day Haudenosaunee connected to a French variant of snake and murderer. Leo Noland is the executive director of the Haudenosaunee Nationals program. The name Iroquois is a bit of a disparaging label more than anything else. We really felt it was incumbent upon us to really um, look at who we really are and how we refer to ourselves. Haudenosaunee means people of the longhouse. The name officially changed last year. Under their former name, the team won bronze at the last World Lacrosse Championship. Nandikog agrees with the name change, but he says he doesn't feel any difference on the field. It's awesome now that we have the Haudenosaunee, but it's always been our people who we're playing for. His family is the reason he became a lacrosse player. His older brother gave him his first lacrosse stick as a baby. His grandfather, Papa Jote, encouraged him to pursue it. I write jotes on my wrist every time because I tape my wrist up because... <laughs> No one really knows this, but like my Papa Joe, unlike his deathbed, like basically told me to go play lacrosse. Lacrosse comes from the Haudenosaunee tradition. For centuries, it has been embraced as a sacred gift from the creator, ceremonially played as a medicine game. I grew up with the Onondaga people. This is the people who gave us the game of lacrosse. Lars Tiffany is a white man who is now the team's head coach. He shows me some footage of the team playing. It's amazing the talent that you can find for the Haudenosaunee men. I don't believe there's another game that is connected to a spirituality like this game is. He says this is the spirit and intensity they'll bring with them to the World Lacrosse Championship. But right now, they're waiting on a few more players to arrive ahead of an early morning flight to San Diego where they will compete among 30 different nations. General Manager Darcy Paulus says the energy this time around feels different. They're hungry. They want the gold medal. Paulus says this is about more than striving to be champions. This is an opportunity to uplift an indigenous tradition that survived colonialism and the cultural genocide of Indian boarding schools. They always say, play for those who can't. And there's thousands of kids that never got the chance you add those up to into families, like that's probably hundreds of thousands of people that never got an opportunity to do anything. So for him, this is about way more than a sporting event. Having 30 teams and this many players come to San Diego to play the game that our people, our families have created and helped grow to this point, it's, it's huge. Lacrosse is currently shortlisted for the 2028 Olympics. Paulus says the tournament is also a chance to show the International Olympic Committee the significance of lacrosse. 
in the Haudenosaunee's participation. For NPR News, I'm Noelle Evans. This story first aired on NPR's All Things Considered. The Nationals will play Japan in the quarterfinals of the World Lacrosse Championships this afternoon at 4. Elsewhere in sports, an 18-year-old from Akwesasne is likely to get the call from an NHL club in this week's draft. Kerry Terrence Jr. is a center who played more than 120 games with the Erie Otters in the Ontario Hockey League. Terrence notched 40 goals and 31 assists in two years. The National Hockey League Scouting Bureau rates Terrence as the number 38 prospect among North American skaters. Terrence will be in Nashville for the NHL draft, which starts today. He's unlikely to go in the first round, but is more likely to be chosen in the second round tomorrow. The St. Regis Mohawk Tribe is holding a draft watch party for Terrence tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock at Generations Park in Aquasasne. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, a conversation with Ontario blues musician Angelique Francis. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. We'll hear from the author of the book, Black and Brown Faces in America's Wild Places. That's coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Just an update on air quality conditions in our region, according to the website airnow.gov. Much of uh, Jefferson and Lewis counties and uh, central and western New York, uh, the Thousand Islands, the eastern Lake Ontario region, uh, in unhealthy air quality uh, conditions uh, today. That includes ozone and particulate matter. Uh, Unhealthy, according to that website. Uh, The rest of our region, moderate to good today. Uh, The Weather Service says clouds, occasional showers this afternoon, highs upper 60s into the mid-70s, and light winds out of the south-southwest. And again, we encourage you to check the website uh, airnow.gov. Use your zip code, town name to find uh, local information about uh, air quality, ozone, particulate matter, given those uh, the smoke from the Canadian wildfires uh, drifting into our region over the next few days. That's airnow.gov. The Ottawa-based musician performing at the city's jazz festival this evening is sort of a Jane of all instruments. Angelique Francis is a Juno Award-winning singer, songwriter, band leader, and she plays the double bass, the upright bass, and the blues harmonica. And she thinks of herself as genre blending, performing in not just jazz festivals, but also blues and folk festivals throughout Ontario, Quebec, and Europe. And she says her closeness to her family moves her music. I caught up with Angelique Francis ahead of her show. Hit me! Angelique Francis. I am a Juno Award-winning composer, singer, songwriter. 
multi-genre, multi-instrumentalist, and band leader of the international touring band, the Angelique Francis Band. Music is inextricable from who Francis is. Born and raised in Ottawa, Frances grew up singing and jamming with her sisters and her dad after dinner every night. Her father even had a home studio. And I have such wonderful memories being in that studio from a very young age, just making songs about whatever I could think about. At five years old, I wrote one of my first songs about loving to drink chocolate milk when the sun came up in the morning and being so delighted that I had access to the resources to not only create, but also being able to share those creations and listen back to those creations and hear myself in that way, but also be able to learn from it through, you know, constructive criticism and the like. That's the most adorable sounding song I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) do, Do you still remember it? I do, yeah. It goes, the chorus goes a little something like, Chakalala when the sun comes up. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was fun to write as a five year old. Join along with me now and don't be shy. Clap your hands, clap your hands, clap your hands now. Stomp your feet, stomp your feet, stomp your feet now. Her family is still making music together. Almost her entire band is made up of her family members. Her dad on drums and songwriting, and her younger sisters on trombone, melodica, and alto, baritone, and tenor saxophone and backup vocals. We have similar ranges with our voices, and when I create a song and have them put their own spin on it vocally or with horn sections. They can be there for the whole song's inception, creation, elaboration. My sisters contribute to many different aspects of what we do as musicians. Corinthia and Kira are very, very good at putting together horn lines for our songs. And so when I present a song to them, we work through different vocal harmonies and then also horn lines as well. Um, I'll write the lines, they'll work on the arrangement. They'll contribute to the way that we move and flow on stage from the dance moves to the interjections. And they can help me take a song that may just come um, as a an idea to something that's more of a conversation on stage between ourselves and with the audience as well. on a long line of blues, jazz, and R&B musicians, from James Brown to upright bassist Willie Dixon and jazz-age singer Bessie Smith. A big influence on her is the mid-century blues and R&B singer Big Mama Thornton of Alabama. I mean, until I, 
Oh, wait a minute until I tune up and right now till I Oh, shucks. of what she does is so incredible, so soulful, so passionate, um, and she was so wonderful in the way that she presented herself when it came to stage presence, her powerful voice, and also her harmonica playing. It wasn't often that you saw a female uh, harmonica player who just carried off every aspect of what she did so well. So I, I really take um, influence from, from Big Mama, and I just love the way that she delivered her songs, delivered her lines, and I definitely take some influence from her sass. that I have the ability to showcase to people that the blues is everywhere, that many of the genres that they love, they may not realize those connections to the blues, but it helps teach them about the many different forms of blues that exist. There's, there's so, so many different types and there's so many different uh, genres that it helped to influence. I hope that my place within this blues tradition is to help continue it in showcasing to people that there are connections that lie elsewhere. That could help inspire people to create their own forms of blues and be curious about traditions that have come before. 